Hello, I'm Evan Price of Green Cheek Beer Co. And this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest today is Pete Gillespie of Garage Project in New Zealand. He's here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media and to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into that in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection, so you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. So, hello, Pete. Um, kia ora. Kia ora, Evan. Nice to see you again, bro. <laughs> Is that it? Okay, so that's how you pronounce it. I keep getting these emails. Yeah, kia ora. And that's uh, hello or welcome. What does it mean? It's 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 hello. It can also be thank you if you use it in the right context. Um, but yeah, it's, oh. um, yeah, we are interestingly actually a trilingual country. We have three official languages. We have English, Tereo, which is the Maori language, and sign language is an official language as well. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I love that. It is awesome. But then, to be absolutely honest, I'm only fluent in one of them. So, you know, it sounds great, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, can do be better. A it's trade, a, I'm, I'm a work know, in progress, Evan. Yeah. Right, right. I think we all are. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, to just start things off, I, I, I think we have to have a little, you know, conversation about you uh, and who you are and just um, a real quick rundown where you grew up, how you ended up in New Zealand how you got into beer, you know, all the like, just, you know, softball pitch, right. like questions that just kind of start this thing off and people get warm and fuzzy about this wonderful yeah. person they're meeting via <laughs> um, uh, audio. All right. All right. Well, so uh, I was born in Scotland, um, but my family emigrated as many people did uh, when I was about five years old, we moved to New Zealand. Uh, and then how I was that to pick? New- well, it was probably a job, to be honest. I think my dad mm. probably picked it with that. But, um, you know, we, we stayed in Wellington for a while and then moved down to Christchurch, which is down on the South Island. Um, so I did like almost all of my school years in New Zealand. But then, uh, as many Kiwis do, the moment that I finished school, literally the same fucking day, I went to the airport, got on a plane and left. Um, it's, it's, it's almost, Kiwis are almost, well, you know, Kiwis are a flightless bird, uh, but it's, it's almost like migration. It's like you finish school and everyone just departs. I think because New Zealand is so far away from, we feel so far away in many ways from a lot of the world, there's this real draw for people to like, just go off, discover the world, do things. And then eventually most of them come back again. uh, Yeah. Cause it's, it's, I mean, uh i've only seen pictures of new zealand i'm uh excited to visit in a couple months see you soon it's gonna be awesome yeah yeah, uh but like you know uh everyone's seen lord of the rings i mean the the place is uh remarkably gorgeous like how how would it like okay cool i'm gonna go tour the world and see let's see what's out there oh look you know everything it is gorgeous but then you know if you go around the world there's a lot of gorgeous places i have to say i'm not trying to undermine the new zealand tourism board uh everyone should come (laughs) it's delightful uh and get a five dollar kickback for every american i can make come over here um but 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 you know the world is an exciting place and i think you know uh, New Zealand is richer for having the people who live in it go elsewhere to discover what the world is like. I think that's good for everybody. Everyone should see that other people live in other ways. Yes. Uh, and it's cool. Absolutely. So, yeah, look, I, I actually moved over to Australia. It was my first kind of, well, no, actually, that's a lie. I went and buggered around Europe and made an absolute mess of myself for about a year uh, and then went to Australia to dry out, which isn't a great idea because it's not a great country to dry out in. <laughs> um <laughs> So look, I mucked around there, went to university, did all sorts of silly things. But, I, you know, you asked, how did I get into brewing? Well, 
the the honest answer to that is I started gosh I don't even know how young I was my grandfather homebrewed and I used to help him so I used to um that's incredible very close very close to my grandfather and I used to like help him you know stir his his homebrew when he was making it and I always it always gave me the fondest sensation you know sometimes you just yes I'll be in the brewery today and a little smell will just waft past and it'll just it'll kick off just this really fond kind of warm feeling that I'm sure comes from those early experiences I mean I remember buying him a a big wooden spoon to use as a as like a a, like a mash paddle yeah Uh, and I thought it was the hugest spoon I'd ever seen in my life and unfortunately when my grandfather died we were tidying his house uh, and I found the spoon and it really wasn't that big. It was quite small. So I must have been tiny. I must yes. have been so tiny. So look, what, beer, uh, beer and brewing. Do you have any recollection of like what he was making, like what kind of beer style he was making? Oh, that was in Scotland. Um, and so you know, he generally did a mix of, you know, just a, a kind of a straight lager and darker bitters. You know, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, which, you know, there was just this endless, they they hardly ever get kept in the fridge. They used to have like a kind of a sort of a stone outhouse, uh, like a cellar. And we just like, you know, I'd trundle out to the cellar and get these beautiful old bottles. They had an internal like cork, like a screw cork internal. What? Yeah. It's how beer bottles used to be in the UK. And you'd like open these up and you know, they'd come out at lunchtime and it was always, it was always a good time. I have fond memories of it. So yeah, look, I mean, I, like I said, I, I went to uni, I was doing other things. Um, but I just, you know, I got, I had, I had an, er, maybe an early life crisis and just went, you know what, fuck this. I really, I really should just pursue the thing that I loved. I've been homebrewing, obviously. And I was just yeah. like, oh. But doesn't brewing do that to you, Evan? I mean, you meet right, so right. many people that throw away perfectly good careers they're never going to make the same amount of money that they were getting doing yep. whatever they were doing. And they only do it because they want to brew beer um, because it just gets under your skin. You know, it's that, it's that Japanese word, akaku, you know, which can have a negative connotation, but it basically means, you know, it's, it's more than a hobby. It's an obsession. And beer Ooh, definitely does that. Mm. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with that word, but I'm, that's, that's incredible. I love that. So, okay. So then you start homebrewing, um, uh, first homebrews you were doing homebrewing. Yeah. And then I, I, to, I, I had this epiphany and I, uh, decided I wanted to become a brewer. So I, uh, I actually ended up going to the UK, um, because at the time I think my real, you know, I was really excited about real ale, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot to love about real ale, traditional oh, I love English it. Yes. real ale. So I, I went over and basically blagged my way into a, a brewing <laughs> job. Um, I mean, incredibly lucky, just trying to be a, a, a charming antipodean. I managed to like blag my way in. I actually, my first job was at Breakspears, which you might have heard of. It was an absolutely incredible sort of, you know, 250, 300-year-old real ale brewery in wow. Henley-on-Thames. It was just the most remarkable place, and the beers were magical. It was you know, wonderful place to start. Unfortunately, it shut down about nothing. It wasn't my fault, I promise. Uh, <laughs> shut down about kind of like maybe nine months after I started. Um, unfortunately, you know, it had been put, it'd be, they, they'd sold, you know, gone public uh, and the the site was worth so much money. They turned it into yuppie flats uh, and oh, sold, the, sold the, the brand as like a to a refresh, I think is still making Breakspears under under a kind of you know brand contract. But um, it was it was sad. There were people working at that brewery who I swear would never get a job anywhere else. Their parents had worked there, and they were working <laughs> there. It was like a sheltered workshop. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Anyway. Uh, and then after that, I worked at a um a kind of a more scrappy uh kind of contract brewer. They we had our own beers as well, but that was in Horsham. Um, but that was remarkable for a young brewer because we were brewing beers for all sorts of people. Because real ale in England, it's it's very easy to set up a real ale brewery. You don't need packaging, you know. You just need open fermenters and and Birkins. And so there are these tiny little regional local breweries everywhere. And if one of them had success with a beer at a competition or something, they had no way of capitalizing on that. No way of packaging oh, sure. it to send it out. So 
they'd give us the recipe and we'd, we'd make the beer and package it. Um, and we used to package for all sorts of people like Green King. I mean, it was a pretty, yep. it was a pretty cool place. Um, so great experience, did that for ages. Uh, had, a, had a kid with my partner. So we headed back down under after that. And I worked in Australia for probably another five, six years um, at a place called the Malt Shovel uh, in Sydney. Um, tried to set up my own brewery in Australia, but the bureaucracy was mind boggling. Came sure. over to Wellington to see my brother. Uh, and he was like, why don't you set one up here? And, you know, Wellington is a is a fascinating town. It's really quite small. There's only 300,000 people in Wellington. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. it's tiny. But it's the capital. And it's a real, there's a real culture of early adopters. You know, it's like people want new things and they're really supportive. There's the most, I think it's got the highest number of cafes per head of population in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, people just, they, they support new things. Um, cool. And there were no breweries in Wellington, despite the fact that 57% of all the craft beer in New Zealand was consumed in Wellington by that tiny amount of the population. Wow. I was like, why are there no breweries here? So, right. So, you know, I, I sold up my house, moved everything over, and yeah, within six months, we'd managed to get something up and running. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which uh, I feel like we've, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, was it a one barrel? Yeah, kit or no, a, not or even a half that. Barrel, a half barrel. All kit? we could, all we could afford was basically a, a tiny little. Um, I think it was Brew Magic, um, homebrew kind of. I mean, it was it was what we could afford. Yeah, the tiniest yeah, yeah. brewery I'd ever worked on professionally, and so basically we were able to make about forty liters of beer uh, per batch. Wow! Um, but we, you know, it's interesting. New Zealand has always been quite blessed with uh, a lot of breweries per head of population. You know. Uh, even though there, we've got like you, you know, the real big mega breweries, we've got Lion and DB are our two big ones. Uh, but there were always lots of small regional little breweries and craft breweries, but they were all doing kind of very safe, you know, traditional standard selections. So, you know, I, I set Garage Project up with with my brother and Joss, who you've met, who, yeah. you know, they didn't. They they enjoyed beer but didn't have any brewing background. And Joss is more of a kind of business background. But um, we decided, look, fuck, there's no point in just doing another brewery doing the same thing. So we tried to do something a little bit more interesting and remarkable. So we kicked off doing what we called the 2424. It was 24 beers in 24 yes. weeks. So six yeah. months with a brand new beer dropped uh, at a craft bar in town. So we'd take these two 20 liter kegs down uh, and, and crank it on but you know i mean it, it, it kind of worked we got like a cult following of people who just fizzed on it you know if you didn't turn up at five o'clock on a tuesday night you wouldn't get the beer it would just sell out so it was, um, I love it was a it. good time you know what and year, actually what year was this that was uh 2011 2011 i yeah. love it so you know and some of the beers we did in the 24 are still mainstays of garage project today pernicious weed which is the, the poster of it. Yep, there. yep. Um, you know, Happy Days, Trip Hop. There's a few of them that, that you know, still still around today. Um, but yeah, I was fucking shit scary though, Evan. I mean, it sounds real <laughs> slick. It wasn't. It was fucking terrifying. Well, there, was yeah, so you... little, there was so little beer, you wouldn't even be able to have like a pint to know what it was like. You know, I'd have little sips out of the fermenter and like, oh, fuck, I hope it's okay. You take it down there, <laughs> put it on. And then you have, yeah, uh, you, have a, you have a kid to support. Um, and oh, then, no, I had two kids by that point. I've been busy. Oh, um, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. The I'm the cell. king of unplanned pregnancies. It's great. Oh, perfect. Perfect. They're the best. Yeah, you're kind. not alone. You're not alone. Um, and then these two kegs that you were able to push out over a one-week period was... The, oh, right. Yeah, the two kegs. Yeah. Okay. It was was um, that the only... Was that the only production at that point, or was that just yeah. one of the yeah. things? Oh, we we had no no illusions that we were actually. I mean, basically, I just lived off some money that I had tucked away. I mean, Whoa. we knew we knew that it wasn't financially going to work. I mean, luckily, yeah. we managed to get the site that we're in this this disused petrol station that we we're still, and that's the garage. The garage. We okay. say garage, you say garage. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's always, where uh, yeah. We, we managed to like talk our way in there for like no rent to start with. I mean, we honestly <laughs> must have bullshitted so hard. Um, and we're still in there now, um, but obviously we're a lot bigger. Uh, 
So where did that that step go from, you know, you have this, um, man, I always loved like talking about how you figure out how to start a business, right? Because like, um, I know for me and Brian, um, you know, we were lucky enough to convince a bank to lend us a bunch of money and like, um, you know, the, the vice president of the company or the bank, uh, was a, um, uh, home brewer and really like enjoyed the beers that I was making at the time when I was working at Noble and like, you know, um, we used Brian's house as collateral for the loan and like, you know, I didn't have a house. And so like, you know, it's just like these, these things that you end up trying or working out. So like, um, I love this picture that you're painting where you have this, um, this 40 liter, uh, brewery, um, each week you're putting out two kegs and then, uh, which is, is awesome and exciting. It reminds me of like the, like sort of the dogfish head story of sorts. Um, but then, uh, at what point do, is this, I don't know, successful enough to convince yourselves that like, all right, uh, we have to add more equipment or we have to, you know, like what what were the next steps? I think we we knew from day one, Evan, that we were going to have to do something because I mean, you know, it was like, it was like holding your breath. You know, yeah. in the movies where they hold their breath and they try and swim through like a tunnel or something. <laughs> it was like that. Um, but I mean, it was really a, a very kind of like sort of self-aware effort to build the brand before we tried to go out and get money. You know, uh, craft brewing wasn't a, a massive thing in New Zealand. You know, there was no boom on the banks, didn't really give a shit. Um, sure. So we we did that intentionally, that six months of kind of, you know, building interest and you know and and then we we got like a, a very small group of investors who invested enough for us to to do that That's great i mean the, the bank you know could have been the other way but i mean honestly they were just like craft brewing yeah who, yeah, yeah. they would do that so he was know. laughing at you they're just like, yeah 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 but i think what we did capture <coughs> the imagination of a few people who were were keen to put a little bit of money in and look i mean We've never had a lot of money behind us. With anything we make, we tend to bootstrap and just shove it back into the business, you know. So we got a 10-barrel brew house to start with, and that was way too small. So we flipped that almost straight away and got a 20-barrel. And, you know, we're still lashing that to death at the moment. Um, We did partner up with a a brewery up in the Hawke's Bay, um, and they've got, you know, a substantially bigger outfit, and we – Basically, I think currently about ninety percent of what they do is is our beer. Um, so yeah, and they they tend to do our kind of like supermarket. So you know we we sell through supermarkets in New Zealand uh, as well as our own kind of like tap rooms and web store and stuff and craft cool little craft beer shops and things. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's us. How many, there you go. How many, uh, and how many places is that? How many uh, places? Well, we've got we've got Ardo uh which is the the brewery and we've got like a, a cellar door there we've got a tap room across the street uh we've got marion street which is our wild facility which is really cool that's where i am at the moment um so we do all our spontaneous brewing down there obviously then there's uh the hooks bay facility we've got another place up in auckland what we hope to do in the future is have more bars i visited your bar evan your new one just ah, recently yeah, yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. it just you know i mean it's incredibly inspirational and it's like it's what we'd like to have more of uh spaces oh, where spaces where you can welcome people in and you know have control over how they're enjoying the product that you make you know you know you know it's like the best beer you ever had think back to that that magic best beer and it oh, was man. definitely it has to be obviously a great beer in the glass the liquid has to be amazing but it's also the space you're in probably the people you're with you know yep. uh, all yep. the all the planets align and you have that absolutely fucking magic moment um yes so i mean yeah uh, if we you know the thing with a bar like yours you can control two of those three things you can't necessarily control the people they're with but you've got the space you've right. got the liquid yeah, right. it's a cool thing to do. I mean, how is, uh, you know, New Zealand beer culture um, is 
I don't know, there's a, there's some kind of British influence and then that mm. seems to be going away. Like what's the, what's the story there? Like I'm seeing pictures, you know, with, um, the hand pull, um, set up for Caspier and stuff like that. And like, it was definitely, know, like- I think, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're a British colony to start off with. Um, you know, we never had a revolution. We just, quietly got on with growing lamb for, for the empire. That's pretty much what New Zealand was, just a farm. Um, so, you know, it definitely was a, an early an early influence. I mean, the, some of the really, like, original beers are fascinating. There's one called Tui, which is, you know, it's a, like a, from the Waikato area around here. It's called, it's called an IPA, and it has been for forever. It's so not an IPA. It's like a <laughs> sticky brown ale. It's fascinating. It's like dark brown, no hops, still called an IPA. There's these weird little throwback beers around the place. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. New Zealand beer culture used to be very kind of like, you know, uh, you know, basic, slightly, you know, amber, amber to brown beer, um, drinking your beer in riggers. Everyone would like take away these big kind of like, like growlers or whatever yeah. that was, you know, or, or drink in pubs. I mean, craft brewing i think the early the early craft explosion was definitely influenced by english real ale uh, i mean interestingly we we hardly make any kind of english style beer i mean after i left england i love it i love real ale i don't really want to recreate it anywhere else though it's interesting well um, do you find like uh with the i mean you know i was going through going through uh, a lot of your lineup and your beers i mean do you find though this instinctual influence from your english brewing days for these lower hoppy beer lower abv hoppy beers you know to where you're utilizing some of those tricks that's a good point to make Uh, that is one thing that is really noticeable that's a difference between new zealand in particular and america is that we have a lot more lower abv beers now is that because new zealand right it's tax. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's why. That's why the UK's got low ABV beer. It's it's all about cash money. So right. we get taxed here on the amount of alcohol in our beer. There's a cutoff point. If you do a beer below 1.4% ABV, there is no excise whatsoever. Wow. Uh, then then as the more you have, the more you pay. So if, if we make like a 10% triple IPA, we're going to pay it's an absurd amount. I mean, it doesn't, makes it, get, it, doesn't it get up to like half uh, of like. Oh yeah, it's it, it's ludicrous. It's more than the ingredients. It's it's a huge amount of money. So beer is expensive compared to America, and yeah. you know, obviously, we we we're often with the you know the bulk of the beer. We'll do special high ABV things, but you'll pay for it for sure. So the the bulk of New Zealand's traditional beers are, are lower ABV, and it just encourages you know you know you drink a lot of it. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I, I brewed in England. You can get drunk on three point two percent beer. You just drink a lot of it. And oh you man! Get, yeah, 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 yeah. You're borrowing that beer for a short amount of time. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like but a quick throughput. But you know, you're asking about the the beer scene. I mean, obviously that that difference in ABV is interesting. But you know, the I, the craft revolution has happened everywhere, Evan. You know, and it's had a huge influence on on you know all the beer cultures that i'm aware of around the place i i think you know the rise of the hazy i mean right you know i went to go and buy some bait to go fishing a little while ago and i went into this to into my fishing shop and there's this like salty old sea dog you know (laughs) grizzled old he's definitely not a hipster eh and he's, right. he, um, so I'm going in to buy some pilchards and I'm like, I'm uh, having a chat with him. I was like, oh, you know, what, what beers are you drinking at the moment? And he said, oh, you know, I used to, I used to drink a, a lager, but now nah, mostly I drink hazies. And I'm just like, what, what the, the mind blowing. <laughs> and that for me, that was the tipping point. It's just hazy. The, 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 the term hazy and hazy beer has definitely, it's entered the mainstream here, you know, um, these are hazies that are like kind of, you know, like four or five percent, some of them, a lot of them. Um, oh, but yeah. Just, it's like the beer that we did together. Yes. Uh, free the knowledge. How did that go for you? Oh, man, uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, um, I don't think our our clientele didn't 
care for it as much as I had hoped. Mm. Um, but the beer was honestly one of my favorite beers that we made last year. 4.5, uh, I think percent, I think is what we did. I can't remember now. Um, and uh, yeah, we had that awesome, like, uh, was it Rakao and Nelson combo? The magic. Um, it's the magic combo. I mean, that's that's pernicious weed. Those two together. Nelson Sovin is a is a magical hop because yeah. it just changes its mood uh, with the different things that you put with it. It's like a very clever actor, you know. You drop them in with somebody else, and suddenly you wouldn't you wouldn't know it's the same person. It's the same with yeah, Nelson. Yeah, it just yeah, does so like... many different things. It can be. It can be, you know, like real Sauvignon Blanc, gooseberry wine kind of character all the way through to real dank, resinous kind of tropical fruit. It's um, it's a cool little, cool kid. What, um, but yeah, uh, what yeah. hop combo do you feel like brings out that character the most? Um, the like Sauvignon Blanc, gooseberry character. Yeah, I mean, look, honestly, Nelson by itself uh, yeah. Even Nelson with a very, very, and I mean very almost homeopathic touch of Rewaka can yeah. can really lift it as well. Um, I mean, yeah, you do Nelson with Southern Cross and you get this lovely kind of like zingy high citrus kind of clean thing. Do it with Rakao, loads of tropical fruit, resin, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, it's a neat little hop. Just, I've always yeah. uh, I've always really loved the like Nelson mosaic combo. Oh yeah, um, no I, Nelson Citra. I mean, it's it, it really is. It's pretty cool. It just plays so well with others. You know, if I had to do a report card, that's what I'd write. Plays well with others. <laughs> I find it to be like a. It's a funny. It's a. Um, it's an interesting hop because I find it to be uh, polarizing. Where there are people that are. 100% into that hop and then there's people that are 100% not into that hop um, which is interesting because I think given it's kind of like uh, given how variable it can be depending on how you do it I think if you meet someone who says oh, I don't like Nelson they just haven't had the right Nelson beer or they're trying to be wankers and not <laughs> and not like something just because it's popular you know you're always going to meet right. people who do that oh no I don't, I don't like mosaic it's it's just uh oh, it's too overdone. I don't like it. Shut up. Uh, oh, it's yeah. fucking awesome. I mean, really, come on. Well, yeah. you have to make it look like you know more than you do. So the, oh, the best, everyone wants the best way to do that a little is bit special, don't they? They all wanna, you know, <laughs> they want to drink upstream from the herd. Oh, I never drink mosaic beer. No, it's like, oh really? Okay, whatever. Yeah, I had <laughs> Good some luck uh, with that. <laughs> I had some friends over here one day uh that were just avid like no, no mosaic ever. I don't like, I don't, I don't drink that. And so then I blinded them on, uh, on a 100% mosaic IPA and they yeah. sat there singing the praises of, of this beer. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. And by the way, that's mosaic. And they're just like, yeah. fuck off. Like, no yeah. way. And yeah, you know, good on you, just, Evan. you got them. Well, it's great. Like I, and I get it. Right. Um, look, I've had a, a bad, piece of chicken breast at a lot of different restaurants you know mm -hmm. um it's like um the moment you rotisserie a chicken though oof that chicken breast is real good and so it's yeah. like you know i think the same thing plays when the in the beer world with these different ingredients where like yeah any brewer can mess mess that thing up it doesn't mean yeah, can, that can the hot thing up if you try hard enough hey yeah it's but just, equally, uh, you know, it, I always find it exciting when you're brewing and you take ingredients that people don't think are sexy or interesting, and you can still create something out of that. That's that's always I, I find uh, that quite a fun challenge. Mind, eh? What comes to mind for you for that? <sighs> I mean, we've played around with some of the lesser known Kiwi things like Southern Cross. Uh, things like that pacifica you can you can create some really fun beers you've got to find the right niche for them um you know one of our like we we use some american liberty and summit uh in one of our beers and i mean that they're so kind of like old school and yeah anyone that in fact we yeah we're gonna have to phase it out because we just can't get some good supply of quality of good stuff i mean those hops together 
it's like a real citrus lemon citrus explosion and i am um, you know it was real real cool um that's awesome yeah we did that in a kind of a super hoppy lager really early on and that's pills and thrills um but yeah we've noticed just it deteriorating slightly just with the with the hops over the years it's always interesting isn't it i mean you probably get the same thing evan but you know you can become really emotionally attached to a hop and yep. then over the years it can just it can drift i mean obviously yep. you know selection when we can get it is a great way of trying trying to ensure that you get what you want and what you like but um sometimes it's not possible and you know you just get this drift um and the and the hop changes and you know trying to work out why is an interesting one for me i think you know is it is it that you know these hops have been in the ground for longer and their character is changing is it seasonal variation i suspect though that what it is is that a hop becomes popular and a lot of people start growing it yeah some of them don't grow it with the same care and attention maybe Mm -hmm. that the early places did or they grow them in a different spot and we all know that the terroir of hops is incredibly important yeah Uh, and so suddenly you start getting you know a lot of variation i mean the two classics for me uh is uh, Rewaka here in New Zealand uh, and Galaxy in Australia, you know, which some, some t- you'll, get, you'll get those hops now and sometimes they are a, like, you know, a pale imitation of how they were 10, 10 years ago. Which oh, is man. Interesting. I mean, I think the, uh, the Galaxy situation is so interesting to me where when galaxy at least started being somewhat available here in the states um i don't know i couldn't tell you how many years ago that was um 12 years ago um Mm. you know 10 years ago um but the quality of hops that you're that you can that that and that variation for something like galaxy is so insanely like messed up where you know um either like either you're getting um something that smells like hay Mm. (laughs) or you're getting uh, a garlic onion bomb Mm. or every once in a while you're getting that like insanely cool character that you're you that you want which um uh, the way that i always describe galaxy is like this like fresh tennis ball character and like, I know it's like a, a weird thing to throw out there, but it's like, um, but it, that character jumps out in like a really neat way, at least for me, along yeah. with some like some good fruit. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess like I always heard tales of like, um, I don't remember the hop company um, that, you know, grabs all that uh, galaxy. I don't necessarily want to like badmouth them on this thing, but like. Um, now they'll come to you, bro yeah right uh i mean hopefully they come for me and just give me some good galaxy and we'll call it a day but uh but i always heard there's just like yeah let's just uh let's just you know no talking on um (laughs) bad mouth away um um no uh selection on something like galaxy and instead let's just uh throw it all together all the lots and mix it all together and then we have this like homogenous i mean this is a fascinating thing isn't it evan i mean it's probably i mean look you know what better forum to have a chat about this particular topic than well it's not called brewer on brewer is it that sounds like weird pornography brewer to (laughs) brewer there we go um yeah you know it's like i i've i've i mean we we have quite a lot to do with hop growing um, so we have a very close relationship with a couple of the farms here in New Zealand. Uh, and we actually, we invested in a brand new hop farm kind of recently. Um, okay. I was, I, I, I we'll was talk, talk about that later, about but it's, that, yeah. I mean, just, but we've been around the hop industry quite closely in New Zealand for a while. And that there is the, you know, there are these two schools of thought. There's, there's obviously what brewers love, which is selection. You know, I want to select, I want to come to the table. And I want you to put all of your lots on it. And I want to try all of them. And I want to pick the ones that I like. Oh, and then man. there's yeah. And then there's the the opposite mindset, which is if if we are going to have a hop with a unified kind of character, we need to amass all of them 
and you know and we 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 kind of we, we homogenize it and we yep. create a single flavor um you know and it's an interesting one i mean I, obviously i see the validity of that second idea but the problem is when people start growing hops and not really giving a shit yes uh or growing hops in the wrong place but not really wanting to like fess up to that or <laughs> you know like there's a whole lot of things, but once you get too many of those, you, you just tip the character of a hop completely over the cliff and that's it. It's like, right. It's right. Whereas, you know, what does selection do? Well, it, it, it tells farmers very clearly what people like and what they don't like. And, you know, if no one's picking your hops, maybe you should have a think about what you're doing uh, yeah. and, and what you're doing might be when you pick it, what you're doing might be the variety that you grow or you know, it might be how you process it afterwards. There's a lot of factors, but you're not doing something right. You know, it's an yeah. interesting one. What are your thoughts on it, Evan? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm with you, man. I mean, um, I I think that the I think the hop selection part of things is uh, you know pushing this hop growing industry forward in such a neat way. And the more that you're able to continue this dialogue between brewer and grower, mm -hmm. um, I think we're all, I think, I think we're winning. Um, and the same goes from customer to, to brewer as well. You know, um, if you can say, find those customers that you, um, uh, can take feedback from that you you know you appreciate or you respect or you know a lot of times people just buy with their dollar show you what they like with their dollars though where it's just yeah. like you know i can tell you right now our customer base um you know we put citra on a can and uh or on a on a beer release and it immediately it's just like i know that our customers love citra and it's yeah. interesting like um all the other cool things that exist out there. And sometimes there's like a little bit of hesitance there. It's like, mm. and what is this Rewaka? You know, what yeah. is this Nelson? You know, and so, um, yeah, but all in all, and in regards to like the hop growing aspect of things, yeah, like a conversation going so that the hop grower that's not doing the thing that you want them to do is uh, it understands that, you know, they need to pay closer attention to that. Yeah. They can make that into extract. Like, you know, uh, they're probably not getting as much money for it, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's, hey, a, it's a fascinating one too, isn't it? Because, of course, you know, look at us. There's a world of brewers. You know, you're in a different country, different hemisphere. But, you know, when we go to the ingredient cabinet, we've got the same ingredients pretty much. You know, I mean, sure. there's some some variation, but, you know, it's interesting. How do you how do you get that point of difference, uh, other than obviously being very clever and making delicious recipes like you do, Evan? But you know, the, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, you know, <laughs> like uh, there's the selection. Obviously, is another method whereby we as brewers, you know, I can see the appeal in it. You know, you can try and find that that variety, which you know, or that that lot that gives you maybe a little bit of an advantage. You know, in a in an industry where like, you know, honestly, like there's a lot of it, things, things seem to be moving almost in a way towards kind of like homogeneity. Everyone yeah. makes relatively similar beers. Yeah. There's no shortage of forums on the internet telling everyone how to make delicious beers. Right. Uh, you know, coming across a really shit beer is, it's getting, I mean, it happens, but it's getting harder, you know, because yeah. I mean, really, you know, if you're making shit beer, you almost have to really not be looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> looking at I mean, it how not to do it. it's it's absolutely incredible i continue to you know um i you know i i think that people like us continue to get more and more proud of the beers that we're putting out especially as we continue to learn you know week by week month by month year by year all the ways that we've messed things up in the past and you know, those beers go down the, you know, go down the drain and people don't taste those mistakes. But like, yeah. um, it's so interesting getting around town and uh, drinking other people's beer and just being like, yeah, damn, this is this is this is really good as well. Yeah. And like, it's um, it's it's pretty it's a pretty neat time um, for beer, uh, which makes it um, 
you know, that much more difficult to, I think, stand out as mm. uh, doing something special, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, we're, we should probably take a quick break here. Um, is, it, is it wee-wee break time? No, I'm supposed to, I mean, you can do that, absolutely. I'm supposed to read this this uh, this break thing. Um, okay, here, here's what I say. We're gonna take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of this conversation with Pete Gillespie of Garage Project Brewing. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. They've been working with brewers on a wide range of ingredients and delicious beers. First Tea combines the flexibility of order sizes with the experience you need to create innovative and successful tea beers. They get you the most direct from farm tea selection. So you are working with flavorful and consistent products. You can find more about First Tea's collaborations with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.f-i-r-s-d-t-e-a.com. Welcome back. We're, uh, yeah, we're back here with Pete. And um, yeah, Pete, I guess um, one of the things that I'm so curious about, you know, you, um, you're right there in this hop growing uh, region or it's in your backyard. Um, can you like, I don't want to interrupt this own conversation, but like, or this own question, but like, you know, uh, you have such a neat relationship to where, um, uh, I remember being at the Firestone Walker invitational this last year yep. and correct me if I got any of this information in, uh, incorrect, but like, um, you had this fresh hop beer on where I think you used uh, fresh hops in the the brew of this certain lot, and then you took the rest of this lot, and then you uh, dried and pelletized this lot, and then you put that in the dry hop, um, all because of you know this all being in your backyard and having this relationship. Is am I crazy? Is this is this what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So that beer is called One Day in March. So we oh pick my God. We pick a day. March is just, it's basically they start picking hops on the first day of March. They finish picking hops on the last day of March. So you've got March. And during that, <laughs> that picking window, there's all sorts of different varieties get picked. Sure. But um, I've got to say, I mean, I, I personally like wet hop beers can be variable. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in love with them completely. Uh, yeah. I love, I love the romance and the idea of getting absolutely fresh hops, but you know, there's something, somebody once tried to tell me that fresh hops are like fresh coriander or you call it cilantro, don't you? But they were, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's fresh and it's like, oh, it's just, I'm like, no, no, that's, it's, that is, it's so wrong. Because, I mean, fresh hops are lovely and there's a distinctive character to it. Uh, but, you know, dried hops often, I think, you know, the drying process blows off some of the unpleasant volatiles that you don't want. You get a lot, less, a lot less garlic and onion once it's dried. You know, I oh, mean, garlic and onion can be a defining feature of wet hop beers uh, if you overdo it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've, we've buggered around doing all sorts of things. One year we... um. We actually cryo froze the the wet hops so that we could use them. Oh no, 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 no! Hang on, we didn't just we did cryo freeze them, but we then cry, like cryo dried them so that we could reuse them later. Yes, uh, but cryo drying them actually like made them hydrophobic, so we throw them threw them in. I don't, I've never, I don't know what was going on there chemically, but like we pulled the beer out at the end. And this stuff was dry. It just, it just, it had repelled the beer. So we got absolutely nothing out of it. It was an enormous faff around. <laughs> but um, we got fuck well, you're all telling out of me it. It's, um, it literally sucked up. Uh, it just sucked no, up. no. It just didn't want to touch the beer. It was like it just, you know, you you'd open up these these like they you know freeze dried cones, and and it was still like dry inside. The beer just Way. didn't penetrate. We got nothing out of it. It was a complete. <laughs> waste of time um but no one day in march works really well and we can only do it because we have this wonderful relationship with freestyle who uh, you know, currently i think are the the best growers in new zealand i mean their oh, attention man. to detail is, is amazing and they um they're picking 
they're picking the hops, they're going into the drying kilns, they're going onto the floor, like so far, so like everybody else in the world. Then they're scooping them up and feeding them straight through the pelletizer. And I mean, their attention to detail at every point is absolutely spot on. So these, you know, they're not getting bailed up and left for six months until they get round to it. It's, yep. a, it's a constant flow. So, and that is why we are able to go get wet hop. Uh, and, you know, it's a short flight. You know, we get it flown over. So it's, you know, it's arriving oh, to man. us half minutes. an hour after picking, Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Uh, we we once almost talked uh, the uh, New Zealand Air Force um, all three all three planes. No, they were disbanding their kind of like one of the I think their Huey helicopters. Um, I think after you finished in Nam, you gave us a couple of them. Said we don't need these anymore. Why don't you? You guys don't have any helicopters. Why don't you have these? So they'd been they'd actually stopped using them for anything useful. They were just they painted them black and they would fly them over uh, the Motuaka area because as well as growing hops, a lot of people grow weed. Uh, out out in the back sticks so they fly these black helicopters over and the local hippies all thought that they had special detectors so they'd all like rush out and like cut their crop that's all that they were using them for um so they 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 were disbanding them and they said oh you know would you do a beer and we said hey i tell you what you fly these hops these fresh hops over from the hop fields you know and i had visions of like ride of the valkyries playing yes in giant speakers and then flying um, and, you know, fuck, it, apparently it got all the way to the top of the New Zealand Air Force. Everyone was gung-ho. They were going to do it for us. And then somebody went, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that. It's probably, oh my probably God. a misuse of public money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but we do. We do have that, uh, like, a tremendously close relationship with with the hop farmers. Um, and, and, look, it's an eye-opener, I think, for any brewer to spend time with hop growers because you get you, – you understand what's going on before – you know the product it's not just this foil bag you rip open it, you understand right. what has happened before and it makes you much more sensitized to what you you know should be asking should be doing um you know picking window it's it's more than anything else it's it's fascinating if you go to the hop fields which we, i've been lucky enough to do you go out every day and you try the hops you rub them in the field and yep. the, the flavors just change. They develop. So, you know, if you pick Nelson Sovereign or Pacifica or whatever, you pick it early in that window, uh, it, it'll be completely different to how it would be if you pick it late. And it's also not, you know, each field will be different. You know, some fields go early, some fields go late. So you really have to be there. You can't just go, it's the 24th of May, sorry, March, and I'm going to pick that now. <laughs> you need to go out need to rub it, need to pick it. And that's what freestyle do. And it's, it's inspiring. Um, I mean, one of the reasons why we've got so much to do with the hop industry here is that thing that I was talking to you about earlier. What is the point of difference? So, you know, freestyle and, you know, we've got a, there's a, a group called Harpy Research that yep. we are kind of a major part of. And it's about trying to come up with new hop varieties, new methods of using hops. Uh, you know, we've got a guy who's a, a fermentation specialist on there. Uh, he's amazing. Looking at you know how can you unlock more flavor with with using yeast and fermentation. It's just yes, it's, it's cool. It's cool, and it's you know in a world where we're all got exactly the same ingredients, it's things like that that you know we hope will kind of you know give you something interesting to play around with. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, the moment that you create something revolutionary. Um, me or anyone else is going to be knocking on your door being like hey pete i had this thing from you that was revolutionary can you tell me about it and it's like um well uh sure i mean you're all the way across the world like why not and then like you know uh next thing you know like enough people have done that and it becomes a thing it's so it's yeah. like you know uh hazy ipa being like one of those things where you know i remember years ago before the uh science was really understood on like you know how to create these hazy ipas um you know we got sam and other half just being like look we we do this process uh i, I don't ex like i couldn't tell you exactly why or how or like like scientifically what happens here other than this is what it looks like and tastes like when it's done and like yeah. and i think that's something there's something really neat about that um yeah. 
especially when you're in the forefront of like um, a trend like that. But um, with your, um, you know, with all the hop stuff that you're working on, like, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you find the most exciting? Um, Do you have some hop varieties um, that you're maybe really uh, excited about that are uh, in the works, you know, like say Peacherine or something else or like, I mean, the Peacherine, freestyle came up with peacherine and i think you know it's it was a designed to be like a kind of a quick accessible something they could do now it's basically like a kind of almost a a mutated motuaka so it's tastes oh, interesting. quite different but it's you know it's theoretically motuaka but it throws a completely different character um but undoubtedly finding finding a brand new hop variety is the holy grail yeah and i mean it's it's you know it's not an easy task it's fascinating i mean the the freestyle guys literally planting thousands of you know new crossbreeds we don't do any genetic modification in new zealand we can't use gmo yeast we can't do any of that kind of thing so it's just old school oh yeah boy hop meets girl hop they fall in love they go to the movies you know it, that so you're not even doing any of this like thiol uh experimentation then we are oh look we're doing a lot of thiol experimentation but we're trying to do it uh through natural methods rather than okay. doing genetically modified stuff with you know it's, yeah, yeah. it's a lot harder and if I was going to be brutally honest with you, I'd say that we it, it's nowhere near as effective as the kind of cosmic punches and things that you yeah, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. have access to. Um, I mean, like, you know, we've done, I mean, at Green Cheek, we've done a number of those things with these thiol producing yeast and, mm. you know, with those Phantasm uh, that, you know, Phantasm yeah. Joss has worked on and everything. And yeah. like, um, holy cow, like, it's like, it's not like a, a small difference. It's like, I mean, punch you in the nose. Like I'm here, uh, like kind of character. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Are... That's the thing. I mean, there are so many, obviously there are lots of different, you know, uh, aromatic compounds that yeah. the brewer can, you know, unlock or have in their beer. Files are fascinating because you get so much out of so little. So uh, Peter Bircham, who's our kind of the yeast scientist that we have working with us at the moment, he was saying, you know, one drop, if you put one drop into a swimming pool in a, an Olympic fucking swimming yeah. pool, yeah. it will reek, you know, it like you, the smell will be enormously apparent. So it's, you, you, you know, unlock even the tiniest amount of that. And the thiols, thiols are everywhere. They're locked into our grain. They're locked into the hops. They're locked into just about everything. You know, it's not just, it's not just phantasm. Phantasm's super high in, in some of the more desirable ones, but it's it's everywhere. I mean, that's the crazy thing about some of these thiol, you know, activating yeast is that you don't even need to put hops in anymore. You could just, you could just mash grain put this yeast in and the yeast will cleave and, and liberate the thiols in the grain and create tropical fruity character without <laughs> a hop even going near it. I mean, I don't recommend that, but isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. It's look, pretty I, mean, neat. Fuck, it's fa- I mean, thank goodness, Evan, it, it keeps us excited as brewers, doesn't it? You know, it never gets dull. There's always right. like a new challenge. I think, you know, if we were just banging out, citra hazies day in day out you know you might feel like maybe you know you needed more to life but there's always something exciting happening i think it's great man i think it's great um uh let's see question for you is um you know when it comes to selecting new zealand hops specifically are there like you know um what are some of the like you know big highlights or recommendations in regards to like you know successes or fails uh aromatically that like someone like yourself is either after or not after so you're talking about uh hops that are available to people now not not the kind of experimental ones right yeah yeah um Look, if I could give one piece of advice one pithy little piece of advice to people uh Rewaka, 
stick it on the hot side. But it's and it's not like it's not a secret. New yep. Zealand brewers, old school New Zealand brewers, were always like, yeah, it's a hot side. That's a hot side hop. You know, <laughs> we've become so enamored with the dry hop uh, as the way to get the most out of beer. I sure. think we run the risk sometimes of forgetting about what you can do on hot side. I I find it fascinating how there's this sort of cyclical thing in brewing, you know? Yeah. Uh, trends sort of come and go, and it's like, like a pendulum. Sometimes it just swings a little bit too far. Yeah. And then, you know, and it's not like what we're doing is wrong. It's just you can create different beers by doing different things, you know? When I started my brewing career, you know, it was all about the whirlpool. You know, everything was whirlpool. Yeah, and you did some dry. You did some dry hopping. When I dry hopped in the UK, we dry hopped cold. Like you know, the beer finished. We basically we put it on chill. You threw it on the cask. Hops in. Uh, oh yeah, casks would have it. But even when we were doing like you know, um, you know, we still had we had some uni tanks. We were still mucking around there. But you know, it would go in. It would go in there um, and cold. You know, and then, you know, we went into warmer dry hopping and then, you know, suddenly it was like hot side is wasteful. We stopped hot siding and, yes. you know, and then it's just like massive loads of dry hop going in at different times and you've got to have biotransformation. So it's got to be early. And then, oh my God, yep. we've got hop creep. It's got to be late. And you've got, it's like, right. there's just all of these wonderful things go on. And look, I don't think any of them are wrong. This is the thing, right. you know, it's not like you're doing it wrong. It's just different and you will get different characters. And I think more and more people just, you know, need to decide what characters they actually after and, and, and what can they achieve. Hot side is fascinating. You know, I think one of the most interesting things recently was people suddenly, you know, Idaho seven came out. I got hold of it. I yep. dry hopped with it. I was like, boy, that's a, that's a bit yawn, you know, like <laughs> I'm not really very excited about that. Um, but then, you know, like I certainly wasn't the first person to talk about it, but like put it on the hot side and suddenly, you know, like Idaho 7 gives you this lovely kind of background tropical character that you can build on. Um, and that's it. It's, a, you know, beer should be about layers. You know, you're laying down potentially sometimes quite subtle flavors uh, yeah. and then, you know, and you'll you'll end up with a far more interesting beer at the end. I love that. I mean, what's a, what a great reminder, you know, I think that we um, sometimes get a little lost uh, at, as like, you know, the finished product and like, you know, um, I know at least for me, I mean, at least when I was more hands-on working in the brewery every day, um, instead of managing a bunch of people, it's like, um, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, but, I hear you um, it um, tasting the beer along the way, you know, was 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 always very important to me, and like mm. how those um, how the interaction was. What did that whirlpool edition edition do? Was it? I put more in that time. Was it actually worth it? Hey, yeah. I threw I threw cryo in that time. Was that worth it? And yeah. like, you know, you kind of like keep going down down this path, and until it's just like, eh, that side doesn't matter gonna put it all put it all on the uh, cold side 10 pounds per barrel here i go boom yeah. and then like, delicious it works don't it works. Muck, don't muck with it yeah right 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 absolutely oh, that's so cool um mm. is it do you pronounce it mutri or muteri mutri mutri up, up of the upper mutri yeah yeah um uh, mutri Okay. Yeah. I you, was, you're, uh, you're coming over, you're coming over for harvest. So we'll, um, we'll go and we'll go and explore. It's a, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's pretty. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I gotta, um, I gotta do that. Um, let's see. I don't really have much other like big questions. I, I love the meandering conversation more than like direct. Um, we definitely, questions. we de definitely meandered. Yeah. It's good, man. It's good. I think. It's, How did your uh, non-alcoholic beer turn out? Oh man, um, it's a it was a super fun project, man. I um, you know really appreciated um, your help and advice uh, with some of those things, and um, it's been a cool thing to be able to drink for Dry January. Um, you know, one of my man, I absolutely loved talking to you about this, where you were talking about this idea where people are coming in and 
some people, you know, uh, are drinking just non-alcoholic beer. Um, no disrespect at all to that at all. Um, but other people are just lengthening out their night or their day mm. with these non-alcoholic beers where it's like, cool, I'm going to have one, one IPA and then I'm going to have a non-alcoholic IPA and mm. then I'll go back to an IPA again. And then like, you know, just being able to, and so my wife and I, um, did that recently and, uh, it was wonderful, man. We woke up, uh, feeling like a million bucks and, uh, rose out of bed, you know, um, it was great, but yeah, I mean, is um, it a big thing in the States yet, Evan? Um, I don't, I, I, so I see that I see non-alcoholic beer definitely coming up. I mean, there's a brewery down the street, um, from us that's, I don't know, I think producing something like nine or 10,000 barrels yeah. a year of non-alcoholic beer. Um, I don't yeah, know how, yeah. how far they distribute that or whatever else, but, um, there's definitely a market for it, you know. Mm. Um, there's a market for sure for like weed drinks as well, you mm. know. Um, that continues to be like um, a bigger thing too. Is just here in California, can cannabis in general is like, you know, something that people are after, um, which is wonderful. It doesn't give you a hangover. Like, I'll, I'll take it. But for the non-alcoholic beer thing, I mean. Um, I think, uh, I think ours was a little, a little light bodied. Um, I don't know the workaround for that. Oh, I sent you some, by the way. It oh, should, hopefully uh, it turns up. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it does. I mean, hopefully I sent it to the right place. I don't remember now, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I'll I got, keep my I, eye open. I got some, I mean, it's been I, fascinating I got... in New Zealand. It is, it is, you know, if you had to pick a current trend, it's, it's non-alcoholic beer, whether it's. Whether it's that everybody was just locked away for, for, for COVID, you know, in lockdown and just drank too much and just came out <laughs> the other end being like, I am a revolting. Oh, I'm a, I was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got, uh, so uh, one of the things that I did is I got, I got insanely into tiki drinks. Um, and <laughs> there's, um, there's this wonderful book by Martin Kate called Smuggler's Cove. And it's this bar in San Francisco here in California. And um, I just got heavy into this whole thing where I'm, I'm making all my own syrups. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm getting, uh, I'm an essential worker, of course, but like there's, I have to wear a mask at work. I can't do anything. And then I, so I finally get home, you know, it's my wife and it's like, all right, you know, let's maybe let's. We're having three. a ticky party, baby. Yeah, like let's have three tiki drinks uh, and then go to bed. And it's like we were just like, yeah, drinking like nine ounces of rum a night. And I'm like, oof, like, uh, yeah, breaks. that was aggressive. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I, uh, I I feel I relate to the like definitely turning things up during COVID. Yeah. Of, um, I don't know if it's that or just also, you know, maybe the response to the fact that a lot of craft beer is, you know, super high ABV. I mean, we're routinely doing, you know seven eight nine percent beers um you know and if you're wanting to have a night out with people or even you know drink a few beers at home they those can they can get on top of you pretty quickly i yeah. i bumped into a chat so you know one of our one of our biggest sellers now is is as you know is, is tiny which is our non-alcoholic oh. beer and um yeah like it's it's just continued i i thought it was just a weird flash in the pan we made a non-alcoholic beer and it was fun to do it was a good challenge i really enjoyed it uh but it's really kind of like taken off a bit and um i had this chap come up to me and he was just like oh i just love i love that tiny it's amazing and he's like i like to drink three beers each night every night i want three beers he's like but i can't drink three of your like you know nine percent double ipas i just right. can't so he's like so i have two tinies and then I have one can of normal beer. And that way I'm only having one beer a night, but I'm feeling like I'm achieving it. So it's like you with your kind of like mood adjustment. You can drink till you get to that, like that perfect spot. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to just stay here all night. And then yeah. I guess you can like switch in and out of alcoholic and non-alcoholic and just maintain and, and you know, be, be a happy little camper. That's a pretty interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you looking into... You, I know you already have. You have the the hazy 
uh, non-alcoholic yeah. beer. Yeah, we're just about XPA. to release. An, we're just about to release an XPA, which oh. is, um, I think, probably, I mean, uh, different, potentially even better than the the first one we did. I, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, Beers are like know. children. You should never show any kind of, you know, favoritism. <laughs> it should depend entirely on their behavior. You know, I uh, um, I use the same line, but then I uh, absolutely absolutely break that rule all the time at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I um, I feel like um, dark non-alcoholic beer is like one of the best things that I feel like I I've, I've tried to where like mm. you know you can build the body. Absolutely, you can find other things, other things to to do the work that alcohol would be doing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty neat. Mm. Um, well, Pete, I um loved this conversation, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on this uh, whole thing with me. I mean, um, the the amount of, how, we could, I mean, this should be a two hour podcast. We could do, uh, we could do another three hours, bro. Oh my yeah, god, no, that was like, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Evan. It always is, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person for Harvest. That'll be fucking great. Yeah, it's gonna. I, I, man, I can't wait to you know, see all the hobbits, wherever all the hobbits live, you know, um, I'm not sure where they, I don't know, I'm not sure where they are, but I'm going to find them. I'm, okay. I'm actually quite thankful that hobbit fever is dying out a little bit in New Zealand for a while. Was it was it crazy just, for a while? Oh, fuck. It was awful. It was just <laughs> like, you just, everything was, everything was Lord of the Rings hobbit themed. It was just like, yeah, you just God. have people walking around your town dressed as Gandalf and there's, <laughs> It's still, I mean, it's still, it, it's kind of got, there's a touch of, you know, how people go to Mecca to like, you know, to go to the the, the birthplace of Islam. Uh, you oh, get sure. Like, you get a lot of Tolkien nerds coming to New Zealand. It's like, <laughs> Tolkien didn't live here, bros. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, awesome. it's, um, yes, it'll be fun. I'll, um, I'll, I'll release some hobbits for you at the airport and they can scurry around. All right, let me see here. I have to say something now, Pete. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Pete will be back on the next episode of this show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That'll be on the air in the next two weeks. So make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media to support journalism in the beer space. Wait. <laughs> to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Evan Price of Green Cheek Beer Company. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Boom. Boom. Drop the mic. This episode was brought to you by First Tea. First Tea delivers the ingredients and experience brewers need for delicious beers and innovative flavors. Flexible order sizes and direct from farm teas for your next brew. Find out more about First Tea by visiting blog.firsttea.com. That's blog.firsttea.com. F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com.